House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and we're at the interview part of the show. Uh, now we have uh, an, an author that's been uh, uh, published by uh, Rattling Yard, <laughs> Rattling Good Yarns, and uh, Ian sent us to him to us, so uh, we will be talking to him. So that's Greg Shapiro. The book is called How to Whistle, Expanded Edition. Um, how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing fine, thank you. And you? I'm always good. <laughs> Good. Oh, not really. Um, <laughs> so, so okay. Let's see. Now, this is a re um, kind of a, a republishing of a, of a book you did before, and it's got new stories to it. So, um, w why did you decide to come out with a, a new version of this book? Uh, well, the first book, the first edition of the book, came out in. 2016. It was my second uh, short story collection. The first one came out in 2014 as a book of stories called Lincoln Avenue, all of which are set in Chicago uh, from uh, Squares and Rebels Press based in Minneapolis. And then when I put together a second collection, uh, Squares and Rebels took a pass on it. Uh, and then I went to another press where I had an unfortunate experience with the publisher. Uh, so I decided that I really loved these stories and I wanted them to reach the audience they deserved. So that's when I approached uh, Rattling Good Yarns Press to see if they'd be interested in publishing, repub uh, publishing the book, but with two new stories added to it, so an expanded edition. Why did you write the book? Like, what was, um, what was going through your mind when you first sat down to write it, the very first edition? Like, what, what kind of thoughts were you having? Well, with both collections of short stories, uh, most, of these book, most of these were stories that already had, had been published in a multitude of uh, journals. Uh, even going as far back as uh, the 90s uh, with uh, Christopher Street Magazine. I don't know if you remember Christopher Street Magazine uh, from New York, but some of the stories have been published there and others have been published in other uh, literary journals. Some have been published in anthologies. So for me, it was really, it wasn't like sitting down and writing a novel where you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, uh, and they're often, I believe, I haven't, haven't written a novel, but I believe that they're all written with the sole purpose of it being published, you know, all published at once. These were stories that had, had lived previously in other places, and I thought that they all were a good fit together in a book of short stories. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember that magazine. I'm only about 17, so. <laughs> wow, a youngster. Okay, well, it's worth researching because it's, it's a pretty important uh, magazine from the past. Oh, well, I'm so young, I don't. <laughs> I'm carefree. Um, so, well, 
where did you where did you pick the stories from? Like I, you said, the magazine. But what I guess what I'm trying to say is, what about a certain short story was it that you would go, "Wow, I want this." Uh, well, these stories um, they're of a specific time. Most of them, well, there's one story that goes pretty far back, but most of them are basically stories about being a gay man in the 80s, 90s, and aughts. Uh, so that's what, the, that's what the through line is. That's, the, that's what connects them all. And as I mentioned, some take place in Chicago, some take place in Boston, some place, take place in Washington, D.C. So there's, there's also that sort of connective tissue, if you will. Yeah. Well, okay. So, what? So about being a gay man. So in what at what part of of being a gay man did you look for? Like what aspects? Oh, they're all kind of all over the place. Um, there's a couple of semi coming out stories, but most of them are most of them the characters are already out. They're living their lives. Uh, uh, they have jobs, they have friends, they have lovers. Uh, so uh, there's no necessarily, you know, it's, yeah, these are adult gay men uh, living their lives in major metropolitan uh, areas. So now the title, I noticed the title is pretty interesting. So it's called How to Whistle. <laughs> what, what's the, what was the, the, the meaning behind that title? Uh, it's actually a line from the story. There's a story in the book called Sixth and E, uh, which is actually an intersection of two streets uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and it's a line from one of the stories. Uh, in the story, the main character uh, is a guy who's in a relationship um, and happy in the relationship, but over the course of a couple of months, uh, he is suddenly tempted by another man uh, who lives on his block, who every time he walks past the guy's house, the guy whistles at him. And so it's sort of what develops from something as simple as just being whistled at, uh, and then what follows uh, after that. So it's really about the way people um, communicate with each other, or gay people, gay men in specific. Um, so when you, do you think that's changed over the years? Do you think that um, there's a difference in the way um, gay men um I don't know, communicate or, or get, get each other's attention? Well, I certainly think that the Internet has changed a lot of the way gay men interact and the way they meet. Um, you know, there's uh, bars, for example, which used to be a place where gay men would congregate and meet. And we're talking, you know, just a year ago, you know, just a little more than a year ago, pre-pandemic. Um, there still is that way of meeting people, but now with social media and various apps, uh, it has definitely changed the way 
gay men interact, but still, it's not still. I think not an uncommon occurrence for two men to pass on the street, uh, for there to be eye contact, and then who knows what follows. But uh, of course, that would mean that both men would be looking up from their phones. So, <laughs> so maybe maybe things have changed enough that that doesn't even happen anymore. Yeah, well, I don't know. Men are men are horny. Um, <laughs> so, what? Okay, so when when someone when when someone gets your book, finished reading it and stuff, what is it that you hope they get out of that? More than anything, what I really hope is that they're is that they laugh, is that they get they laugh a lot because the book is while there are some serious stories. For the most part, um, many of the stories are are humorous or intended to be humorous. That's I guess that's all in the eye of the reader. But I hope that first and foremost that they laugh, that they are amused and entertained. Um, that if they're not gay, that they might have learned something, just a little something. Uh, one gay man's perspective on on gay life. I hope that that's, that that comes through. Um, yeah, I think that that's what I really hope is that there's, uh, they learn something new about people that they didn't know before. Well, so how do you think it is for, um, gay men now in the U S as compared to, um, the seventies and eighties and even the nineties? Um, well, thankfully, things have changed and are changing because of the new, uh, because of President Joe Biden, which just, by the way, sounds so great to say, President Joe Biden. Just really, <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> just, well, as opposed to the uh, walking turd that was the previous president, uh, four years of sheer hell. Um so, so I, already things are changing because there's a different level of respect from coming from the White House, coming from those, uh, many of those in command. That you know, there's still going to be people like Miss Lindsey Graham and uh, Mitch McConnell, the turtle, and other people who have no interest in seeing gay the lives of gay people improve, but there, you know, but things have changed considerably now uh, that there's a Democrat in control, now that there's uh, some normal people <laughs> in office, so yes. Um, but in terms of now versus back then, I, I think that the, the possibly the most frightening thing out of all this is that if you're a gay man of a certain age, the way the pandemic, the way the COVID-19 pandemic has been handled is terrifyingly familiar to the way the HIV AIDS epidemic was handled in the, in the early 1980s in that there was a Republican in office and there was a virus that was impacting, you know, HIV AIDS impacted gay men. 
very mostly in the early days. Uh, so it was a minority that was not favored by the Republicans in office in the same way that in the early days of the COVID pandemic, black and brown people were impacted. So there was, again, no urgency for the Republicans to take any kind of serious action. I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, no, I understand. You know, it's, it's, it, in general, a conservative government looks out, so they're, they're better at war and military, and, uh, you know, that's, they, they don't focus necessarily on the people. Right. Um, that's, that's pretty common. What was, your, what was your favorite story in, in the short story in the book? Oh, that's like asking a parent what their favorite child is. I, um, I don't think I could do that. I could. Uh, um, <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry. I said I could. I've got dogs, and I pick my favorite. Uh, well, I have a dog, uh, uh, so which is probably best that there's only one dog, because I would worry about favoring one over the other. But no, I think, I think the stories are different enough that that's a, that's what I like about them that they are there there's similarities but there's also differences so unfortunately I don't think I could pick a favorite mm. how does how did writing the book change you or did it uh, um, I don't think it changed me I, so so this is my second book of short stories but I also have I always lose count. Um, five books of poetry. Um, so, so each book does sort of take its own, um, gets its own uh, attention and focus. Um, I don't. I think that the the only book that might have changed me was when my first book came out in two thousand eight, and it only changed me because it was like oh. I have a book out, um, and each book is as exciting as that. Oh, I've got a new book, I've got a new book. But that first book, I think, changed me just in that I finally had a book out after many years of publishing in literary journals, uh, having my work published in anthologies, and even in textbooks. Uh, but having them all together, having work together under one cover definitely is a, a, a powerful experience. You know, we talk to a lot of writers um, in all sorts of uh, areas of writing, all sorts of uh, fields. Um, so poetry um, is totally alien to me. Um, how, did, how did you know that you wanted to write poetry, and how did you, how did you get that confidence that what you were uh, writing was, was going to be good? So I, um, I actually started out about 200 years ago as a theater major. Um, <laughs> wow, you're a lot older and, than me. <laughs> and that was an interesting and eye-opening experience. I had been writing at that time anyway. I was writing poetry and other things, but I really thought that I wanted to be an actor. And it's a very long story, but I had a really good experience as a theater major that made me realize that's not what I wanted to do. And so while I was a theater major, I was also taking a poetry class 
And that was a turning point. That was a good experience. It made me realize that that's something I had more interest in. And then when I, so I had started college and then I went for a year and a half and I took a year and a half off to figure out what I really wanted to do since I wasn't going to be doing theater anymore. And then I decided I wanted to, to write. And so I transferred uh, to a college in Boston uh, and decided to become a creative writing major. And while I was doing that, I was, I had a, a teacher uh, by the name of Bill Knott, K-N-O-T-T, who was a really amazing poet. And while I was an undergrad, one of the assignments that he gave our class, our, our poetry workshop, was that he was uh, really pleased with the level of work in the class, and he encouraged us as part of our grade to send our work out to literary journals, literary magazines. And he taught us how to do that. This is, this is back in the 80s. This is pre-internet, pre-computer, and there was a process that you had to go through to submit your work. You had to, he urged us to send clean copy, meaning that it was, there were no mistakes, there, was no, there were no misspellings, punctuation was correct. Uh, he taught us how to write a cover letter when submitting work, and he taught us how uh, to, uh, it was in, back in the old days, there was something called a SAZI, which was a self-addressed stamped envelope, which you would include with your submission, so that, again, pre-internet, pre-computer, so that the publication could let you know if they liked your work, and if they were going to publish it, or if they didn't like it, and then they could return it to you. So way back then, I sent some work to a magazine, and it was accepted for publication. Uh, so it's almost like a drug. Like once you get a taste of that experience, you want to have it more of it. So I just started doing the research, finding out where, what magazines were reading uh, work for submission, and that's really how it started. What does a poet write about? Like, how does, okay, so so I'm trying to understand this, because I've, I've had several books published, but mine have all been nonfiction and more true crime or more um, reality-based sort of things, you know, events that have happened. Okay. So, so I understand my process, and 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 I've talked to a lot of crime fiction and a lot of romance and all this stuff. But what's the process for a poet? Well, I think everybody's different. Every poet has a different process. Um, I I have sort of a two prong thing. One is one is the wait for inspiration. <laughs> uh, process, which uh, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to find a lot of inspiration over the years. Um, so, there, so there's that, especially last year during the early days of the pandemic, uh, I ended up writing more last year than I wrote in the two previous years. So uh, that was, and while it's not, you know, the greatest uh, 
situation that during the pandemic, it did pr produce a lot of, of work. Uh, the other strange uh, source for me personally has been, because I've been doing this for a long time, um, I'm often uh, solicited for anthologies or themes of magazine, you know, uh, themed issues of magazines. So, as has been the case for me in the past, I've been solicited for an anthology. Um, for example, uh, I'm trying to think of like what's a, there's an anthology that came out in the, I think in the 90s, that was writing about condoms. Uh, so they were looking for fiction and poetry about condoms. And so I'd gotten solicited for that. And I did not, as it turns out, have anything. But I did write something, which I sent to them and was then accepted into the anthology. Uh, and then that poem actually ended up becoming the title poem for my first book of poetry. And uh, it's a... The poem was called Protection, and that's also the title of my first book. Yeah, yeah you know, um, so, so why do you think you had so much more work during the, the, the part of the pandemic? A, a lot of writers have shut down. A lot of writers have had struggle. Um, so is it more that maybe the emotion involved in something like a pandemic or whatever else is going on, if it's, if it's a real negative or stressful or uh, that darker time, does that evoke more of your emotion then? I would say that's, de that's definitely an aspect of it. The, it's, it's a response to a situation, um, which could also end up being a short story. I mean, I, I, since I write both, uh, I think what it was was just this necessity to express myself in regards to what that situation was was presenting. Well, you know, and as a poet, usually I look at poetry as a, it's a lot deeper. Um, when you read a, a poem, there's a there's several meanings to the each phrase to a lot of the words, and um, you have to read it several times to try and get deep enough to understand it is it is that sort of the case when you're writing do you do you understand do you are you aware that that's what's going on when you write a poem uh, my approach has always been that it's hard enough to get a person to read a poem so that i would not want to make them walk away from it i would not want a reader to have any confusion at any point in anything I, I write, so that I make sure that the language, that the subject matter is accessible enough so that anyone and everyone can understand it. And that, because there is that thing, people say, oh, I don't like poetry because I don't understand it. And my feeling is that's kind of just an excuse. Uh, so that one of the things I always tell people is because poetry comes from, a, from an oral tradition, I think one of the ways that makes it easy for people to understand a poem is 
just read it out loud. If you're, and I wouldn't say do this while you're at work or on public transportation or on an airplane maybe, I would say if you're reading a book of poetry at home, read the poem out loud and you will definitely get more out of it if you do that. And that I think will also help with the compre comprehension of the poem. So is there, is there a, a particular outcome? Like when, when I'm writing a book, there's a, a beginning, men, middle, and ending. And there's a story I'm telling and I'm presenting the evidence. And even like when David, he writes his books, it, there's, there's a story involved, even though it's fiction. Um, mm -hmm. do, is there something like that as an outcome that you hope for in a poem or a short story even? Absolutely, yes. It's, it's about capturing... Like I said, I, I don't have a novel. I, I don't think I ever will write a novel. Short stories really are my preferred means of uh, expression via prose. Uh, so, uh, yes, so my, my hope is that, and even sometimes I'll even know how a short story is going to end before I've even gotten to that point. Of course, as is often the case, you think you know how it's going to end, and then it writes itself, and it's the ending you thought was going to happen doesn't happen. Um, even sometimes in something as short as a poem, you might think you know where you're, where it's going, and then it, it takes on a life of its own. But uh, yes, yeah, so I, I do feel like even if it's a compact version of storytelling, it's not a novel, but it's a, a short story. I do think that the idea is to take the reader on some kind of a journey, uh, whatever that journey is. Hmm. It's interesting. So you, you, you kind of mentioned when I asked about uh, picking out a favorite story, you said, <laughs> well, you can't. You treat them like you're, they're like your children. Uh, I interview a lot of crime fiction people, and, and, uh, and they have the same sort of relationship with the characters they write about in their books or even some of the primary um, you know, if it's a detective and they're in a series of books, um, and they kind of, a lot of them feel like those those characters, those people are their children, mm -hmm. these, these people in their stories. Um, so how do, you, how do you compare that? Like, is it, is, it the, is it a character in the story, in the short story, or is it the story itself or poem? Well, I think, yes, I think for me, it's the events, it's, it's what, what's happening um, more. So, then, of course, you know, the, I, I, the characters eventually, they, they evolve or they, they reveal themselves to me. But I think for me, often it's, it's an event uh, that is the driving force. There's a, a story in the book uh, called Bully in a Bar. Uh, which is about the narrator of the story uh, is going through all sorts of uh, changes, uh, emotional situations. And in the course of, of a night, he runs into a school bully uh, who made his life miserable. Uh, as a child, he runs into this guy in a gay bar. So lo and behold, the person who called him all sorts of names and uh, 
made all sorts of accusations about him when they were younger, turns out to be gay himself. And it's about that sort of confrontation. That was a, that was how this that was the inspiration for the story. The idea that what if you run into a, a bully in a bar in a place that you wouldn't expect to find them? Huh. That's, that's, that's interesting. Do you, where where do these stories come from? Like for you, like when you write a story, is it? Is it is it a passing thing? Do you all of a sudden get it in the middle of the night, or is it you <laughs> you, you pass someone in a store, or you? Uh, um, it, it, so where does where does that kind of uh, the initial story come from? I, I think it varies with each one. Sometimes it is uh, a memory that is sparked, uh, something that's said. Uh, that's always a good. <laughs> You're overhearing a conversation or, um, or again, just remembering something that was said once in the past. Uh, and it could just be sitting there, you know, in the back of my consciousness. And then suddenly when it comes forward, it, it becomes something more than just a memory. It becomes uh, inspiration for telling a story or even for writing a poem. Um, something I've been doing a lot lately, and there's actually some of the stories in How to Whistle are the result of this. I started out first as a, a poet, and then became more of a fiction writer, and then are pretty much are writing both equally. But one of the things I've been doing lately is going back uh, to a poem. A lot of my poems are, are in a narrative style, <clears throat> so I have been going back to poems and then looking at them again and expanding them into short stories. So that's also another source for inspiration. Huh. Now, do, you, do you have other writers that inspire you or influence the way you write? Yeah, definitely. I... Um, in fact, I just I did an interview the other day uh, with a, a local journalist here in South Florida. Uh, there's a, 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 fest, a poetry festival coming up in April. Uh, April is National Poetry Month. And there's a poetry festival in South Florida that goes by the name of O Miami. It's O comma Miami. And I was doing an interview about I'm, not, I'm doing a reading, with, a group reading with some other South Florida poets, and one of the questions she asked was about uh, inspiration, uh, reading other writers, and something I, that I just don't know why this is the case, but I, when I'm doing my own reading for just to read, I'm reading more prose than poetry. I do read a lot of poetry, a lot, um, but... I, I really am more drawn to reading uh, prose. Uh, I should also say that my day job, which is I'm an entertainment journalist, uh, so I write for about 15 or 16 regional publications. Um, I cover uh, music and film and books 
and some television. And so when I'm doing, uh, I, I, I no longer experience any of those things. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this without sounding. So, so those things that used to really bring me great pleasure uh, when I wasn't writing about them have now become work. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really good thing because I still love music. I still love movies. I still love uh, books. But in writing about them, it's changed the way I approach them. Uh, so uh, I do a lot of author interviews. Uh, so um, again, it's more often than not, it's novels or nonfiction. Uh, I just did an interview with a writer named Lauren Hoff who wrote a memoir about growing up. Her, her, she was raised, her, her parents were members of the Children of God cult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. which was, you know, uh, the Phoenixes, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and River Phoenix, they were raised in that cult. And um, Rose McGowan, the actress, was raised in that cult. So this woman wrote this memoir about that cult, uh, but also about coming out as a lesbian um, and then joining the military, which might some might think is not just another cult. Um, and then her other, her other work, um, so those, that, that's, and that's a good source for, uh, interview material, uh, not fake memoirs, uh, novels, etc. So I'm not sure if I answered that question <laughs> or not. But. Well, yeah, it's kind of, it's, you're giving us your inspiration. Um, so now, um, do you yourself have a website or a place that you like people to go and, and find you and, and talk to you about things or? Uh, I do not have a website, but I am on the Facebook. Uh, and it's just my name, which is uh, Greg, G-R-E-G-G, -G, Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. There are a few others of us with the same name, um, but I'm the one with the uh, shaved head. So it's easier to find go. me that way. There you go. Well, we'll have that on our website. We're also going to have the... Uh, Rattling Good Yarns Press uh, linked up to our website with your great. book and things like that, so uh, people can find you easily that way. Um, well, it's certainly been a pleasure. I, I enjoy talking to you. And uh, same and here. I'm I'm very grateful for you to take the time to do this, and I hope I wasn't <laughs> I hope I wasn't boring. Uh, never, never. And uh, <laughs> what do you? So, what do you got planned coming up? Are you going to be doing more more short story books, or are you just going to um, what's kind of the future? Well, I have um, a new poetry collection that I've put together that I've started sending out to, uh, actually two that I have, that I've sent out, I'm sending out to presses. Um, and I've got, I've got a few new short stories, which means that ultimately at some point I would like to have enough short stories for another collection. Uh, but right now I'm focusing on uh, one or two new books of poetry. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Well, um, our guest has been Greg Shapiro, and the book we're talking about is How to Whistle, and it's the expanded edition. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, Alan, David. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Take care. 
find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.